Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to part two of my epic conversation with Ed Stasium. I hope you enjoyed part one. He's quite the storyteller. As you can tell, he just kind of goes. He's in a flow and he remembers names or he doesn't remember names and he name drops and he, oh, this one reminded me of this other session with this other great band. It's just what legends do when they've got, you know, a, a lifetime of incredible experiences. Well, this time, we kick it off with a little more Ramones. Then we go into the Smithereens. I think there's some Mick Jagger in there. And then we also talk about um, a couple of former guests. There's Genya Raven and there's The Size. So we talk about all of this in this part two of this conversation. And then like before, there's a ton of other names to get mentioned and little things get brought up here and there. Now, I want to kick it off with another song that I would have loved to talk to him about, but didn't get a chance to. This is Dynamite by Bazooka. And I think something that gets lost is that Ed worked on a lot of R&B stuff too. We talked about that a little bit in the first part with the Skull Snaps, but like Ed is on Gladys Knight's Midnight Train to Georgia. And uh, I believe me, I could do a whole other hour with Ed just talking about R&B, which we didn't get around to. So I wanted to kind of remind you that that's in this man's history as well by playing some dynamite plus this song is killer so anyway hope you enjoy this again he called me from southern california when we left off you were about to tell me about the time johnny wanted to quit the ramones after end of the century oh do we talk about that at all no that's where we left off you said next time we talk remind me to tell you the story okay yeah so where do we start with this it was, uh, you know, it's after we had done Road to Ruin and End of the Century with Tommy. And then we did Rock and Roll High School without Tommy. And I was like, where's Tommy? Now he's not coming. And it was pretty much, uh, we did it at Cherokee in L.A. Uh, Tommy was cut out of the picture. I don't know whose decision that was. But I expected Tommy to be there for Rock and Roll High School. And then I did the TV mixes. I'm not TV mixes, the uh, mono mixes for the movie, because that movie was total mono. And there was no, I mean, there was surround sound at that time. We had surround, um, but we, it was all in mono. Uh, Alan Argish uh, talked about doing a remix of the audio for, for the Blu-ray, but they never got around to it. So mm. the Blu-ray came out with the original mono. Okay. <clears throat> so I did mono mixes, and then uh, I did off the cuff, I just did really quick stereo mixes of I Want You Around in Rock and Roll High School, uh -huh. and which ended up to be, uh, I kept the tape. Nobody else had a copy for years and until uh, Bill Inglot started doing those reissues, early 2000s, I guess it was, maybe even earlier, it might have been in the late 90s, and uh -huh. you know acquired a bunch of tapes from me, including those, the Cherokee uh, tapes. Um quarter inch stereo. So I just knocked them out. I mean, it was like one, you know, okay, just for reference, I'll keep this stereo mix. It'll mm -hmm. be fun to have. And so they had, those ended up to be what they call the Ed Stasium version. It shows up on some of the extras on the CDs. And sometimes they come up on um, Sirius XM as the same thing when they mm -hmm. play those, as opposed to the uh, Spectre mix. There's a there's a Spectre mix also, also on the Rock and Roll High School soundtrack album. Those two, um, songs rock and roll high school and i want you around uh specter phil specter mixed sure. them mm -hmm. for that for that particular record mm -hmm. and um 
that was, uh, you know, I mean, Phil always loved the Ramones. I mean, I could get into a total long story, but we're not going to do that. We'll save that for the liner notes at the end of the century record, <laughs> which I have in progress. If that ever oh, comes out. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So Seymour, I was living in East Millstone, New Jersey. I got a call from Seymour um, probably in April of 79. Um, Ed, Phil Spector is going to produce the next Ramones album. Johnny doesn't want to go unless you go with him. Because I had gained the you know the band's trust by this time, mm -hmm. you know I'd done you know Leave Home, Rocket to Russia, Road to Ruin, It's Alive, and the which hadn't been released and wouldn't be released for another you know so many years, mm -hmm. um, and the uh, Rock and Roll High School stuff, and I you know I did demos with the guys on other things. Um, we did demos for the Phil Spector record. Ended up doing demos. And then uh, in the Sire's basement, in the in the, in the uh, basement, that Joey wouldn't go down in the basement. We had to go to Moogie Klingman studio to do the vocals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to go down in the basement. There might be something down there. Uh, well, doesn't he have a song about that? Yeah, I don't I want to go down in the basement. Yeah. yeah, I think there is. It sure is on the first yep. record. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Johnny calls me, you know, from his. Uh, Johnny didn't have a phone at home in, in his apartment in New York. He had a little box that would create a tone. He would go to pay phones. He could call anywhere in the world with this little box, you know, whatever the heck it was. Here's a, uh -huh. little, here's a little similar. Here's a little box. And you go, this little tone thing on You put it into the receiver on the, on the handpiece and you can call anywhere. So Miss Seymour's like, Johnny's going to call you in a half hour. Make sure you're home. Cause we got to talk about this Phil Spector record. So Johnny's like, well, Phil Spector, you know, and I loved I loved all the stuff Spector did, you know, mm -hmm. from Be My Baby to uh, you know the job. You lost that loving feeling. Yeah, all you lost that loving feeling. Yeah. All that stuff, all all yeah. the, all, all the, you know, on and on. Yeah, and, and, and the Beatles stuff. Um, not necessarily what he did to let it be, but the, the John Lennon uh -huh. solo records, you know, mm -hmm. the Plastic Ono Band and um, George Harrison. All things must pass is a great record mm -hmm. uh, that I thought it was. Yeah, um, I'm like fucking Phil Spector. You you got we got to do this. Yeah, you know you, you must. You know it'll be great. So this is okay. You're gonna come with us. So I I I flew out. We did the demos. I think I have a I have that schedule somewhere. I don't know where it is. Mm -hmm. I always say I'm gonna pull it out, but <laughs> I have to find it. It's in a box somewhere. That's the only time I really took notes on what mm -hmm. we did every day. Huh. And I do. I think I even have PDFs of it somewhere. Wow. Um, I don't know where it is. Like, I'll find it. I know. The I believe it. Yeah. Just um, the room you're sitting in could be a could be a museum. Uh, I'm just looking behind you at all the things on the walls and the records, and you talking about all the things. I've got that somewhere. I've got a cassette yeah. somewhere. I've got a yeah. PDF somewhere. It's like, man. <laughs> Yeah. When Ed Lee when Ed leaves this life, someone's just going to go in that room alone and yeah, my, uh, find my kids. My things. kids are going to have a great estate sale. Let me tell yes, you. They are. Yeah, yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah. go to L.A. Mm -hmm. They were staying at the Tropicana on Santa Monica Boulevard. It's not there anymore. Famous rock and roll hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, I went there. We were going to rehearse, and I brought my guitar. That almost got stolen. There was a 1963 Stratocaster that I had, right? Mm. Um, when we went to do the vocals for um, the 
either rock and roll high school or the end of the, no, it was rock and roll. No, might've been, I don't know which one, either the rock and roll high school demos or the end of the century demos, which you both cut the tracks in the sire basement. And like I said, Joey wouldn't go down there, mm-hmm. but I, um, I had a, a 1978 Audi and I, uh, had this, I, so we did went to Moogie Klingman studio and I parked the car on one of the cross streets. He was on West end Avenue and like the, either the, I think the low 80s somewhere mm-hmm. up on the Upper West Side. And I parked the car, like an 82nd Street or something. And I walked about a block and I went, I might need my guitar because it was in the trunk. Mm-hmm. And um, I went back, got my guitar out of the trunk, brought it in. And, sure, and I used it. I played a little, mm-hmm. like a little solo thing or something on mm-hmm. some little the, the shit that I do with the Ramones, that mm-hmm. little twiddly stuff. That, you know, <laughs> little twiddly shit. That, you know, yeah, the stuff Johnny doesn't do. Yeah, and the stuff yeah. I could hardly do. You know, I'm <laughs> yeah, not a good, I'm not great. I just, you know, just bang it out a little bit. Um sure. and so I thought I'll go back and get it. And so we were there for hours and hours doing the vocals and I did some overdubs and mixed it. It was eight track mm-hmm. and um went back to the car and sure enough the fucking trunk was open and somebody had what? broken in. Yeah, somebody had no. broken in, taken the spare tire, took a pair of oratones out of the back of the car. <laughs> and, and took um, a box of cassettes that I had, you know. Oh. Take the cassette deck, though. It was a, a cassette deck that I mounted in there myself. Uh huh. And um, so. Oh, good call. Lucky, lucky I took that guitar because no it would have been pawned off for like 25 bucks somewhere. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that, that guitar is now in the uh, Musical Instrument Museum in um, Phoenix. Goodness. Yeah. That is yeah. great. They wanted to um, it had been beat to shit. It was nothing, nothing was original on it. It had been repainted and repainted. That's a whole other story. Where was I? Oh, you're talking okay. about why Johnny almost left during yeah, the end of the session. I'm sorry. So that's okay. Yeah. Um, so we rehearsed for like three days at SIR. I brought my guitar around and I started playing with the guys in rehearsal because they wanted some advice about some of the songs and arrangements. I even came up with I even came up with the bridge, which I've never been credited for. I should have gotten a writing credit for it, but I never did. For the um, the return of Jackie and Judy. I came up with that bridge in there, and I do have that on a cassette somewhere. The rehearsal, <laughs> you do. Tape. The rehearsal tape. I, I've been looking for. It. I can't find. It. I don't know. I actually have looked for that for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Can't find it. It's around somewhere. Anyway, um. So we, Phil Spector comes down, 
on the last day of rehearsal. Okay, I'm going to try to get to the point because there's so many stories about this. <laughs> I uh, he comes down. He sits. He puts his briefcase down. Had a briefcase with him. Put, sits on the briefcase. Goes like this. Puts his hands in front of him. Says, "Play." Okay, we played. Went through all the songs. He didn't say a word. Mm. Just nodded his head. Next, not next. Mm -hmm. No arrangement. You know, I thought. You know, I'm used to at this point when I worked with a band, any band, I would suggest something about a tempo, or is it in the right key, or maybe it needs a bridge. Maybe you should cut the chorus in half. Whatever. Mm -hmm. that I would do, and I, I would, and I would naturally think that, being the genius of Phil Spector, that he would come up with something. He didn't mm -hmm. say a word about the arrangements, and never changed anything through the entire recording process. Anyway, so we're you know we go in the first day. Um, he tells Monty Melnick, the Ramones uh, uh, tour manager. Well, he didn't. He had a he had a, um, an assistant, Donna. I forgot Donna's last name. That's on the end of the century record. Okay. Um, Donna would call me and Monty and say, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Or, you know, Donna would call me and say, Phil's going to call you in 10 minutes. Make sure you're mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And so he told Monty to go to Rumbo in the Valley. And we went to Gold Star. So we're like sitting around. We get there and Phil always worked at night, like eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. So we got there like 730, brought some Mexican food in. <laughs> one of, I forgot where Johnny's favorite Mexican place. And um, we're like, where's Monty? Where's Monty? Finally, like at 10 o'clock, 1030, we're waiting. Where's Monty? Where's the equipment? Where is everything? Mm -hmm. And Monty calls. He wants to talk to him. He talks to Johnny. And then Johnny's like, Ed, Monty wants to talk to you. <laughs> okay. He says, what the hell? Monty's like, what the fuck is going on? I'm here. I got all the equipment set up at Rumbo, which is out in the valley in Canoga Park. Mm -hmm. And we're waiting for him at Gold Star, which is in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was the warning sign. It's going to be coming. And uh, I did, you know, I did go to the studio while Phil was working with the Paley Brothers as well to meet mm -hmm. him the first night I was there. That's another mm -hmm. story. That's, gotcha. that's too long winded. Okay. So, so we started tracking. You know, we set mm -hmm. up. We started tracking. First day went okay. I think we actually recorded like this ain't Havana or something that first day. Something mm -hmm. else. And uh, I, Johnny wanted me out in the studio playing. So I played on all the backing tracks with the band. Wow. You know, Didi was, Didi's amp was in another room. We, John, I used uh, Johnny's Mike Matthews Freedom Amp, hmm. which could be used with a battery made by Electro Harmonics. And Johnny had his marshals. We were just baffled off. The drums were in the middle of the room. Didi was over by Marky. Didi's uh, amp was in a closet or something. But my amp and Johnny's amp were in the room. You can hear it on the multi-tracks. You can hear the, mm -hmm. the leakage go, coming in there. Mm -hmm. um, Larry Levine was the engineer. Uh, Larry Levine was an extremely talented, great engineer who did like, you know, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, mm -hmm. all, incredible line of credits that he has. Mm -hmm. um, and Phil abused him. He would bap him on his shoulder and tell him. <laughs> Phil listened at incredible levels and he worked out a sign language with Larry. If you wanted uh. to. If he wanted the vocal up, he would point at his mouth and not stop the mm -hmm. tape because it was, you know, at 120 decibels through the monitors. Uh -huh. You say, well, he pointed his mouth and just point up in the air and vocal up, that meant, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going on like the third or fourth day. And we're um, doing rock and roll high school. I'm surprised you haven't heard this story. Um, I might have, but I don't remember. 
Yeah, so the first chord of th this version of Rock and Roll High School, there are three. There's a demo, there's, you know, my stereo mixes, Phil's mix that was on the album, and we re-record, we re-recorded it for the end of the century. Mm -hmm. So the beginning of it, I don't know where it came from, but Johnny and I both hit a chord and would get feedback from our the amplifiers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You probably have heard that. Mm -hmm. And then Marky comes in over the feedback. We kept doing that over. It feels like talking to talk back. Do it again. Do it again. And he's in there. We don't know what's going on. He's talking to Larry in the control room, yelling at Larry. You can see it. Johnny's looking at me going, what the fuck? What the fuck's going on? <laughs> you know, mouthing it. And so Phil wouldn't hear it. And I'm there like, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was a couple hours. Yeah. Johnny always made it out to be eight hours of playing that one chord. But it was not. It was... Um, and he had it after that two hours, two and a half hours of doing that one chord. Johnny's like, I'm out of here. I quit. Mm. And um, quit everything. Not just today. Quit everything. Yeah. He was going to leave. He was going to leave. He was going to leave. He couldn't, couldn't work with Phil. He just didn't want to work with Phil. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I guess I called Seymour the next day. If I had, yeah. Anyway. I call Seymour the next morning and he's like, Ed, you have to fix this. We can't, Johnny can't quit. Phil has to finish the record. Uh, blah, blah, blah. For many reasons, you know, he probably already paid him like a ridiculous amount of money. Of course. And, um, you know, having Phil Spector produce a record of the Ramones is like genius. Yeah. Big deal. It's fucking genius. Um, so I had to, I, somebody called me the Henry Kissinger of rock and roll. <laughs> I put together a meeting in Joey's room at the, oh, the first night I got to the, um, the first night I stayed at the Tropicana, my room got broken into. So I oh. said, I'm not staying here. I right. called Seymour, I'm not staying here. Put me in another hotel. They put me in the right. Sunset Marquee, which was oh. great. Nice. Which was great. And even at that time, it was a you know, funky musician mm -hmm. hangout kind of joint. It was cool. Sure. Um, So the band still stayed at the Tropicana. Uh, we had a meeting in Joey's room. And I forgot what time, like three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon. It was really mm -hmm. hot. It was May of 79 and um, early May. It was a real hot day. I remember Joey had the air conditioner on like 50. It was freezing in the room. <laughs> and uh, waiting on Phil. We're all waiting. The whole band's there. Linda's there. She was at that time. Linda was Joey's girlfriend. Okay. For the affair and the marriage to Johnny. Mm -hmm. Which means that Joey and Johnny were actually still speaking to each other at that time. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, this was before she even started having the affair with uh, John. Um, and uh, waiting on Phil. Here comes Phil. And Phil always traveled with his bodyguard. Can't remember the bodyguard's name. It was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yes. It was 44 years ago. Yeah. Uh, over 40 years ago. Uh, I don't remember. That's I okay. Think, I think George. It was George. George. Never George. knew his last name. Here, in, in comes Phil with his bodyguard. Oh, always dressed up, funny. And um, he says, what's going on, guys? You know, and start explaining. I said, you know, I was the guy who had to explain everything. You know, mm -hmm. they're all in the room. Uh, Phil, Johnny can't work under these conditions. He does. He's not used to doing things over and over and over again when mm -hmm. it sounds the same to him and to the rest of the band and to myself, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And Phil's, and and then, uh, and then Phil says, okay, tell Johnny. <laughs> and Johnny's in the room. Johnny's <laughs> sitting right there. <laughs> yeah, tell Johnny that uh, I'll I won't I won't do this anymore. I really want to do the record, and 
um, uh, you know, I'll I'll change my ways basically. So I said, uh, Johnny, uh, Phil said, you know, we won't do that. And Johnny says, well, tell Phil, <laughs> okay, but uh, well, we'll try it again. But you know, if it happens again, I'm out of here. Mm. That was basically it. And then we went back. Wild. And then Johnny's dad died, so he had to leave anyway. Oh wow! Yeah, and we had um, I don't remember. I think he was gone for like three or four days, and we. Mm breaks and did vocals and i did some mm-hmm. guitar overdubs on the existing tracks and then we came back and finished everything up but wow it was a trip, man i wish i had kept a more accurate diary i bet that went down because it was that's something. a historic period yeah um okay um let's talk about the smithereens all they're right. one of my favorite bands of all time me too matter of fact yep. they're, they're playing here on saturday night not here but up the coast a little bit i'm gonna go nice I I got to see them a few times before Pat passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim's been on here. Dennis has been on here. Oh, cool! I but they don't ever come through Denver when in this new configuration. I wish they would. I would go happily. You know, I love them yeah. so much. But so when you come along for Smithereens Eleven, that's the third album, and it's uh, kind of an effort to you know, break them, I guess, a little bit more mainstream. Something about the album is it's them for sure, but there's a slight minimal amount of gloss on it that may not have been there before. What do you do when you go in and you think, okay, we got to break the smithereens. We have a girl like you. What do I do? I don't think like that. I don't think really. No, that's that's out of my realm. I don't. I don't yeah. think I'm a manager or a record company person or A and R guy or a publicist or uh, um, promotion person. That's that's. What, I only. I turn knobs. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I turn knobs and I give advice. I turn yeah. the knobs and the faders until I think it sounds good. Uh huh. And um, that's that's what I do. I don't. I don't think. Oh, we have to make this into a hit. Yeah. I, I, I just don't think that way. I just. Okay. Whatever I do, whatever any record that I've worked on over the past fifty years. Mm. It was always just, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just lucky doing this. So they're just going to throw my opinion in. Yeah, yeah. We, we rehearsed for that in New York, and I made a couple, you know, I made some changes, I'm sure. I don't remember what they were. Mm-hmm. I remember one thing on Girl Like You. I remember asking Dennis to play the ding, 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 mm-hmm. the bell on the okay on the cymbal, on the ride cymbal. I remember doing, I, for some reason, I remember asking him to do that. stuff and you know i always had a thing about ever since i heard pete townsend like double tracking his um 
guitar on, on who's next there's some stuff mm. that's like kind of double tracked okay there's a backing track and then there's another guitar that is with it i, I always loved double tracking I, even when i was in a band i remember double tracking my guitar and going wow that's so fucking cool mm-hmm. you know double tracking guitars and then you know when i came to do leave home with the ramones i was the guy that came i came up with the idea let's double track johnny's guitar mm-hmm. it's funny because johnny double tracked his guitars and we had all the tracks done and he was just standing out in the studio next 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 he double tracked all his guitars pretty tight i might, I might uh, really pretty tightly um in uh, the time it took to take you know a, a subway from <laughs> forest hills to manhattan you know seriously like you know maybe an hour uh-huh. we did them all probably under uh-huh. That's crazy. And then we did, you know, the first mix is really weird because the guitars were like split out, panned like that. But, uh-huh. you know, we we made up for it during when I did the box set and made a more cool, a rougher type of in your yeah. face. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I always had a, so we did pre-production, went to LA, cut uh-huh. the tracks at a place called American, which had a, I tried an A series console, which I loved. You know, they mm. had one of those at um, Cherokee. Mm. So I did the uh, Ramones Rock and Roll High School tracks, and also at the Studio Moran Heights when I was working working there, which mm-hmm. actually attracted me to the Studio Moran Heights. That was one of the mm. reasons that I wanted to work there. Mm-hmm. And um, so we tracked it there. Did overdobes at Rondo. <laughs> at Rondo. Overdobes at Rondo. Overdobes at Rondo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we did a overdobes at Rumbo, which it was a great little studio. Another Trident mm-hmm. console. Not an A series. It was, I forgot what, mo- what series it was. It was cool. Nice room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I layered the guitar. I layer guitars. So that might add to the. Okay. Um, you know, on like uh, Green Thoughts and stuff, you can hear Jimmy's guitar and Pat's guitar, but there's not a lot of layering on it. And it's okay. a great sounding record. I love yeah. Green Thoughts. Me you too. Know, Don, Don, Don Dixon does a great job. And they mm-hmm. went back to Don after, you know, mm-hmm. we stopped working together. Mm-hmm. After I spent, you know, months on <laughs> on uh, Top of the Pops. Uh, blow up. <laughs> I got questions about that. Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you, I mean, some of some bands you work with, like the Ramones and the Smithereens, you have long relationships with these people um, that span over more than just one album. Uh, what is at the heart of the Smithereens relationship, at least for then? Why, do, what is special about the chemistry between you and the band that makes everybody want to just continue to work together? I don't know. You don't know? Just I have no idea. Getting along? We're friends. Yeah, from, yeah. From New Jersey. Hey. Yeah, yeah. You know, Pat, I mean, Pat, um, you know, lived in a town, like two towns from me, mm. um, you know, and Jimmy, too. Where's, where's Jimmy from? from? Are they from Carteret? Carteret, yeah. Carteret, yeah. Uh, well, Pat was from Scotch Plains. Scotch Plains. And Dennis and Jim Pat, are from Carteret. Carteret, yeah. And uh, Pat saw my band open up for the faces at Scotch Plains Family High School. No way. Yeah, I, I opened up for the faces on their first tour of the States. That's wild. Right after, right after Woody and uh, Mr. Stewart, Sir, Sir Rod, um, mm-hmm. joined the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worked at a, I gave guitar lessons and worked at a place on Route 22, which runs right through New Jersey, right through Scotch Plains, right through Plainfield, right through Denellen, where, where I lived, Greenbrook. Um, you know, the, the main vein of New Jersey is Route 22 in, in Central Jersey. 
And Pat told me, I don't remember this, but he said that I would let him come into the piano shop and I would let him play guitar. So he remembered me. Whoa. So he remembered taking a Kalamazoo off the wall and asking me if I could, he could play it. I said, yeah, sure. Play, play, plug it into an amp. Yeah. So that kind Wild. of bonded us at first. And that came sure. We had a uh, Mark Freed from who was working at BMI at that time. He's a publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, now he has spirit music. I think it's called okay. a great guy. He put us together. He always thought mm. and it was, he, we met before they did green thoughts. So when they were committed to Don to doing green thoughts, we went to Mama Leone's that famous New York Italian restaurant and met mm-hmm. with the guys. And then I actually, uh, after that I mixed, I remixed um, beauty and sadness and EP mm-hmm. their first EP. You did? So I guess they liked what I did on that. Okay. did it really quickly i remember i did it like two days or something at mm-hmm. right track studios and uh, we just we got along you know we yeah were, like i do with the ramones we just you know i'm a, I'm a normal guy yeah I'm not clearly i'm not uh, you know i'm not a square i'm kind right. of <laughs> you know i loved all the same bands sure you know? um a matter of fact uh you know today's the uh, 55th anniversary of the first show at the fillmore east and really? i uh I put a little post on Facebook about it because I just haphazardly ran and saw the market. Oh, yeah. I saw your post. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was just great. And, uh, you know, everybody, you know, the Smithereens, the Ramones, we all love those, all those bands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think the Ramones are big into Crosby, Stills, and Nash. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, we all had the same taste. And sure. Especially, you know, the Beatles and, mm-hmm. you know, the British Invasion stuff, the Kinks. Yeah. You know, Alice Cooper, T Rex, all that stuff. Of course, we all love that music, and we all got into it because we love music. Yeah, um, you know, like you mentioned, have a hit. Ha- got to have a hit. Uh, mm-hmm. No, this has to be a hit. I ne- I never thought like that at all. I okay. got into this because I love music, right? And, and I love tape. I love recording music, and that's mm-hmm. happened to happen to be the path that I somehow, fortunately, and I'm grateful for, got mm-hmm. onto and lasted yeah. this long. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you about Blow Up then, because that album. Well, wait, well, I have to tell you one thing about. Oh, please. Weathering's 11. Yeah, and please. I've heard this story, but Madonna was supposed to sing on A Girl Like You. I have heard this. Yeah. They, yes. she, they, were, they, were, just, they were managed by Freddie DeMann, who managed Madonna. Uh-huh. And like three times, she's coming. She's coming. We had like hidden video cameras. <laughs> and I, we had hidden, hidden t- we were going to run a, a separate tape recorder to get uh-huh. on the <laughs> And she never showed up. 
Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy told me that story. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Never, never yeah. showed up. Yeah. Who is on there? I'm suddenly blanking. Yeah, me too. Chris? Maria Vidal. Okay. Yes. Desmond Child and Rouge. Yes. Yes. That's it. Oh, yeah. Desmond Child and Rouge. Yeah. So, okay. So, Blow Up comes along, and I like that album, but it feels slightly over bloated to me. Every yeah. song is like a minute and a half longer than the songs on the previous albums it's got a lot of strings the songs are great it just feels slightly overindulgent and i wondered probably is overindulgent you know myself included but at that time um you know capital was like okay we had a hit with 11 Mm -hmm. we have to we have to have another one Mm -hmm. and you know i just tried to make things better i don't know you know, we spent a lot more time. We tracked it. We spent a lot more money on it. I don't think they ever recouped from that record. I bet. Yeah. Uh, they did a lot of videos for it. There was some, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Too Much Passion did pretty well. It did okay. Um, that had strings on it. Yeah. And there, there's the Diane Warren song, which was really. That, oh, that, sure. Yeah. Um, with Diane, uh, Get a Hold of My Heart. I think yeah. It was time with it and you know um i think pat was going through some issues at that time mm, okay uh, personal issues yeah sometimes he wouldn't show up mm, tough um, okay we, we tracked it at a m studios 
uh, in Studio A because I just I love 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 Studio A at A and M. Got a lot of stuff there, including the second Living Color record. Yeah, good one. Yeah, um, I love that album. Yeah, and uh, you know I, uh, you know, and Pat le- wasn't around for mixing, and okay. but I remember Pat wanted this long, drawn out, and top of the pops, the end, the fade just mm-hmm. goes on forever. It does, and, and, and uh, that's how Pat wanted it like that. That was going to be my question when I had Jimmy on here a few years ago. I was asking him, like, who, you know, who's making these decisions? Is that just, and he's like, I don't know. That's just what Pat wanted. Jimmy's not the type to go against the party line or say anything critical. Those guys are just too gentlemanly. They're so nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was curious, like, is this, is Pat smelling some success maybe right around the corner? And so he's thinking, let's, take it up a notch let's bloat this thing a little bit not that he would use a word or are you together like i know what we can do let's let's add strings let's make every song four and a half minutes i don't know man i don't mm. i have no recollection it just came out the way it did just did okay you know, and i'm the di- I'm, I'm forever the diplomat so i'm trying to please everybody sure sure they're pat they're pat songs yeah you know it was you know well except for uh yeah jimmy has one flowers cut flowers no the cow still say on yeah yeah Now, you mentioned the end of the did the relationship end on bad terms? No. Oh, not just, at all. I'm still. We've always been in touch. I was in yeah. touch with Pat um, when I was living in Sherman Oaks. Pat would show up at all hours for no reason mm-hmm. whatsoever mm-hmm. and just knock on the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was in bed with a young woman once oh. <laughs> in the afternoon, and um, <laughs> and I hear, I hear the doorbell ring. We're in bed. Uh huh. It was like middle of the afternoon, like three o'clock, you know. And I think she was leaving to go back home, wherever she was going. Uh, uh, I'm still friends. I'm still friends with the woman, actually. And uh, um, mid nineties, I think it was uh-huh. after, after the earthquake, or right around that time. Okay. I'd split up with my wife Francine. I was single, mm-hmm. and um, I hear the doorbell ring. And then I hear big pounding on the door. And I hear, I know you're in there. Your car's in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> and he had been to the house several times and so he walked uh, over to the side of the house 
where there's another where the driveway is, and he's banging on that window. Which, you know, my bedroom's here, the other bedroom's uh-huh. <laughs> I know you're in there. I know you're in there. Okay, but so let me put some pants on. I got, uh, I got dressed. And, uh, Put a T-shirt on. Yeah. I actually have. I actually have a picture of uh, that. I no uh, way. Yeah, the, yeah of, of Pat and I at that day. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he, he brought me. Um, we both were into late. We were into videos and monsters. Uh-huh. And that's another thing that kept us all together. You know. Yeah. If I and you know monster movies and yes, uh, comedy. And he had brought yeah. me a laser disc copy of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ooh. Which I which I actually already had, but I didn't okay. didn't tell him I already had it. <laughs> right, so when right. I, I gave away when I, when I I guess I sold them all. Uh, there was a sealed copy of. Uh, Ooh, that's cool. That's uh, I miss one of the things I miss. I remember the day before he died, he posted on social media on Facebook. Um, you know, I've been sick, but I'm feeling starting to feel better, and these are all the movies that I'm going to watch. Oh. And uh, he listed like seven or eight movies that he wanted to watch. And I'm just thinking, oh, good, thank goodness. Pat's on the mend; things are going to be okay. Not 24 hours later, yeah. we find out that he was gone. Crazy. Um, I just have a couple left. I wanted yeah. to ask uh, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, the monster movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pat, you know, I love Pat. And uh-huh. last time I saw Pat, he, uh, Mickey, uh, had the Joey Room on birthday bashes and asked me if you would like to get Pat to, uh, you know, come on in. Mm. And uh, Pat came in. He came to the birthday bash and he sang Sheena is a punk rocker. Nice. Was, I think it was 2017, 2008. It was right before he passed away. Yeah. Not yeah. right before, but the, the year before. You know, that's the last time I saw him. But we always would communicate. Good. I would always go see the band when they were close. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no animosity or anything. We were always pal- We're still pals. You know, I yeah. called, called Dennis on his birthday, you know. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love them. You know, went through, uh, you know, Jimmy's when Betty passed away. Yeah. yeah. You know, he they, seems they, to be actually, doing they a... actually played here in Poway. There's a great. Really? Theater. High school has a great theater. Yeah. And they played here. And that's when Jimmy told me. I remember we had a good cry about it at the oh, show. That's um, great. And Dennis, Dennis, and I forgot who else. It was in town. The keyboard player, I forgot the keyboard player. He plays with little Steven and he played on a Misfits record. Dennis even sang backing vocals here. Oh, really? On a, on a Misfits record. I forgot what song. It was Jerry only uh, Misfits. Okay. Okay. Jerry, not, not, no, not the original Misfits. Yeah. Jerry only's, um, Jerry only Misfits. But the, Dennis uh. was here. And, you know, I'm going to go see them on Friday. Oh, They're good. Robin. I haven't seen them with Robin singing. No. Have you seen them with Marshall? Oh yeah, played like three okay. times. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, a lot of fun. yeah, a lot of, yeah. A lot of good fun. Oh, I give anything for them to pass through Denver, and they never do. I'm surprised they haven't. But I know thing, they were good. Thing. They yeah. they would. Uh, Denver was. Uh, I saw them probably four months, maybe before Pat died. Uh-huh. Poor guy, he wasn't moving very well, and his oh, arm was in a sling. No, and absolutely. like someone would have to come out and hold a a glass of Pepsi up to his mouth with that's a straw. His so. girlfriend's Shandy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that, it was that's, how, that's how it was at the uh, Joey Ramon birthday bash. Really? Oh, man. His arms were just dangling by his side. Yep. Yep. Poor guy. It's rough. I love I, him. I feel, me too. I think about him all the time. Yeah. I was very, I'm very fond of Pat and the yeah. rest of the kids. Yep. Same. Yeah, um, yeah, this, okay. Great. 
I'm just going to throw a couple more at you. Yeah, um, we talked about Genya. Genya has been on here. Um, I think she is such a riot. I love her. I love and you her worked too. on her urban desire album. One I thing did. I was interested about is that I, she kind of blew my mind. She produced one of those, um, dead boys albums. Yeah. Young, loud, and, and I think. She yes. Did. And I love the dead boys and yeah. it got me thinking, why in the world are there not more women producers? Seriously. What's so hard about the job that women can't do that it, job? You know, it's, it's, it's a fucking boys club. That must be it. It's the same with the music industry. It's always been yeah. a boys club. And, you know, um, you know, just fill with misogyny and sex abuse. Uh-huh. You know, personally, I have been fortunate that I never think that way. Right. Um, and I've, you know, I remember, I remember even Johnny, not to diss Johnny or anything, uh-huh. but when, um, uh, Ramona Jan was an assistant on some of the Ramona stuff at media. I'm Facebook friends with her. I know yeah. Ramona. And Ramona's That's a crazy. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And, um, I don't think I ever told Ramona this, but you know, I think Johnny came up to me and said, is that a girl working on our session? You know, oh, it's just always been a boys club, you know, and yeah. guys are fucking horny and crazy and just want to get, laid yeah. you know, never. I mean, there's a lot more now than there ever were. You know, I know several, especially Sylvia Massey is a monster. Yeah. You know, just a great person. I love Sylvia. She's a mm-hmm. genius. Worked with some great records. She's doing a, um, one of those things at Abbey Road for uh, whatever that company is that does those presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's a French company. They're, they, they've had all these people on. They, they do these seminars for oh. days. Okay. Mix with the masters. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Mix, okay. Mix, mix with the masters. And she's doing one at Abbey road, which is really, wow. Great. That's great. You know, her husband, Chris is a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, she, she interviewed me for both her, uh, her book, the, uh, that great book that she put out. Uh-huh. Got a picture of my, my miss, my, my miss wiggles, my puppy dog. Uh-huh. At the console, <laughs> but you know, she's miss wiggles has passed. Um, and also, uh, did a couple things for her microphone book that will be coming out. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. So when you work with Genya, what are you doing for her that she can't do herself? And what was it like working with her? I was, in, I was hired as an engineer. Were you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't produce. Well, of course I, I think I, so. I opened my mouth all the time. I do the same <laughs> thing. You know, either I'm engine, when I was engineering for anybody, I would uh-huh. you know, throw my, you know, my central Jersey boyhood ideas out to uh-huh. everybody, my influence because i just couldn't and i do it nicely you know i uh-huh. I, I suggest i uh-huh. don't tell i don't demand i i suggest i uh-huh. become part of the project you know you're part of the project you're part of the band um as with any of the bands i've ever worked with i always probably have said to them you know um, please accept me as a member of the band you know i'm gonna throw out ideas and you know, if you, if you don't like them, tell me they suck. And if you, maybe, maybe they'll work, <laughs> try it. If you like it, we'll use it. If not, you know, throw it away. Um, and, but with Kenya, um, you know, th- that's after I had left power station pretty recently after left power station, I left power station in the November of 77 mm. and went independent. First thing I did was it's alive. And then started working with, uh, you know, a bunch of different people. Some people that Tony Bon Jovi turned me on to. Okay. And other, 
other people that um, a great friend of mine, the late, great Susan Planer, who took over as the manager of Media Sound after Bob Walters and Tony Bon Jovi left Media Sound to start Power Station. And then, you know, I left Power Station because they wouldn't lock the place out. I think we probably talked about that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we didn't. I don't know. Um, but Susan Planer was a great advocate of me and everybody, Bobby Clear Mountain, Ron St. Germain. She always called us her boys. And, you know, Ronnie and Bobby, they worked for media. I was independent, but she still threw stuff my way. So she gave me a call one day, says, hey, um, something happened. Harvey Goldberg was doing, was co-producing, I believe, with Genya, those those tracks. Uh, It was an in-house thing. It was a media sound. I think it was called Taxi. Taxi Productions, I think. And, um, you know, she had been working on the record. And um, why don't you work with Genya? Genya wants to have you do a mix i remember and the first mix i did for her was at media it was in studio c the lounge on an api and it was um back in my art the song back in my arms again oh good one that's on great album yeah great song And um, so she loved it. Like we got along famously. I love Genya. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we became we became very close, and hung out. And she says, "Hey, I'm doing the rest of the record. Come on, Stacy, and let's do this." <laughs> and um, just started working, working my arse off on that record. That's great. Yeah, two or three new tracks for the record. Um, I don't have a track list yet. I don't remember. The night ain't long enough. Was one of them. Okay. Let me Pull look it up. Let me see. That we did from you know Harvey had done a lot of stuff previously. Um, let's see. Let me go to Genya. Um, Jerry's uh, pigeons. Night ain't long enough. Do it just for me. Shut. Jerry's pigeons. Oh yeah. The Jerry's pigeons. Yeah.
she's great. I wish there were more. I only, I mean, there's a couple albums and some blues stuff and stuff like that. She's a, just a fun lady. Um, what did you, did you have something to do on Mick Jagger's Primitive Cool album? Yeah, I, um, I came into that halfway through it. Yeah. That, uh, from what I can tell, Steve Thompson's been on here. He did some session guys. I can't remember who, but it sounds like that album was just a mess. And it, it took forever it wasn't because no one, including Mick, really knew what he wanted to do. And uh, so it just went on and on and on. Tell me about it from your it perspective. Went, it went on and on and on before I got involved. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so um, Dave Jordan, the great engineer producer, um, who actually got me onto the Peter Wolf project for Lights oh, Out. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we talked about Lights Out. We did. That was like the first thing we talked about. Okay. Did we talk about Dave? Dave getting me that gig? I don't remember. I don't remember that part. Well, Dave, Pete wanted Dave to do it. For, I don't. I forgot the connection. I think it was because of Herbie Hancock's Rocket. Maybe. Oh, sure, that sounds familiar. And uh, wanted Dave to do it. I was friends with Dave and his manager, uh, Gary Gunton. Gary Gunton. Gunton. Okay. Gary Gunton was Dave's manager. Um, um, Pete wanted Dave to do it. Dave couldn't do it. They called me. Said, "Hey, can you, you want, to, want to talk to Peter Wolf?" Called up Pete. He flew me into Boston for a night. We had dinner, got the gig. And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. You know, that was in November of '83. Mm-hmm. I worked on it until like mid March, maybe longer. <laughs> that was those two when we had food budgets. You know, it was great. <laughs> I, was, I was making, and I got big bucks for that. For I that bet. Time. Yeah, it was great. Yes. You know, yes. I was able to save money and rented an apartment. Got moved back to New York. I was living in LA when I first started that in '83. Left, uh-huh. never, never went back. You know, I get into New York, starting in Boston, first of all, at the car studio. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, oh, so many stories. And then, then we moved to New York to, you know, mix it at right track. He he wanted Bobby to mix it at first that he had dinner with me again. He says, hey, Ed, you know, you've been working on this project for three months now. I was going to have Clear Mountain mix it, but do you want to mix it? I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I'll mix it. I can, I can do that. I can yeah. do that. And it was the first time I ever worked on an SSL with Pete. And you know, I didn't I had no idea how the computer worked. Uh-huh. They had a great assistant, uh, Billy. Billy, I don't remember Billy's last name, at Right Track, and he uh-huh. showed me the ropes, and good. I fell right into it. It's very good. Very. It lucky. was Peter's seventy seventh birthday yesterday. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Crazy. Yes. I I would I wonder. He's such a mystery to me. What what does he do? He doesn't put out music very much. He doesn't tour he puts, very much. You no, know, he puts out some. He puts out some stuff. And he's on. He's out there. He plays in the New England area. Does he? Okay. okay. Yeah, he's been out there. He's put out a bunch of records that have okay. been really good. Um, very down to earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Records. Yes. Uh, very much put, so. I think he's put out five or six records since then. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but they're not like, you know, all the time. Midnight souvenirs is yeah. one that I have that was yeah. I really liked. Yeah, he did um, that. He, I think he did a track with one of the tracks with Shelby Lynn that was really good. Oh yeah, yeah. That's on there. I love that one. Anyway, um, so getting okay. back to Jagger. Yeah. Um, you know, and I met Mick um, during the, the Lights Out sessions, you know, because Pete uh-huh. knew everybody. I mean, Dylan came down, you know, J- Mick came down. We were jamming. I have a, a cassette of me playing drums and Jagger singing and, some, you know, the Johnson twin, the Johnson boys, you know, playing guitar on keyboards. Yeah. Oh, really? We used to jam all the time. Pete used to call it the TikTok Lounge. 
Oh. And we had a PA. He always would set up a PA in the, in the recording room, and we just jam out there. Oh, I remember, dude, I did Mona. I played Mona. I played drums on Mona with Jagger singing. I, I have a cassette of it somewhere. That's wild. Of course you and do. Wow. Yeah. So Mick had worked with Dave Jordan on the Steve Lillywhite produced Dirty Work. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I and I was at Right Track when they were they were working on Dirty Work at Right Track as well. I don't remember what I was doing, but I read. That's why I met Lily White, and I, I actually knew Mick because it was after the, the Peter Wolf record. Right. And I met Keith. I met Keith during that time as well for the first time. And um, so Mick wanted Dave to do it. I get a call from Dave. I was living in Manhattan at the time. I'd moved to Manhattan from you know Laurel Canyon. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know the years. The years aren't working for me right now. Mm-hmm. I'm too old. <laughs> um, so I get a call from Dave. Hey, I want to work with Jagger for two weeks on vocals. He has a project. He's doing his second solo record. I'd like to go. To, he wants me to come to Barbados. I can't do it. I forgot what Dave was working on. Um, uh, I'll give him your number. And he, he called me. Ed, how you doing? He remembered me mm-hmm. from Peter Wolf session. Okay. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I want to do some vocals. Jeff Beck is down here. Jeff Beck's down here. He's uh, doing some overdubs. And we're at Eddie Grant Studio. Oh man! Um, and it's uh, Eddie Grant, a uh, Blue Wave. It was called Blue Wave. And uh, Eddie Grant, after all his success with Electric Avenue and several other songs, um, purchased on Barbados." The um, sugarcane plantation that his grandfather was a slave at. Oh, dig that! Oh, wow, that's pretty fucking deep. Yeah. I don't know if this studio is still in existence. Anyway, so uh, at the time, I was married to Francine, ex Francine. I'm an ex before all of my <laughs> exes. Just an ex, ex dash Francine, right. ex Francine. I was married, and I said, "Hey, can I bring my wife?" Oh, sure. No problem. So he you know, sends me tickets, two first-class tickets to Barbados. Uh, Arnold Dunn was mixed guy at the time. I'm excited, you know? And he says, oh, by the way, on the phone call, he called me back. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, Jeff Jeff forgot his rat box, his rat pedal. It's a, you know what a rat pedal is? Well, no. Know, it's a, like a distortion box. Okay. Okay. Uh, would you go to Manny's and pick up, pick up a rat and whatever else you can think of that you can bring down? Mm-hmm. So I picked up, which I, st- I still have that rat pedal that Beck played through. Oh, my gosh. And I, I did have some strings that were just, but I don't know what happened to those. Yes, and I, I actually had Mick got his hair. Mick flew in his his, his hairdresser oh. to cut his hair, and he Dude. cut his hair outside the studio, and there was hair on the ground. I picked some up and put it in an envelope. Oh. It, it mysteriously disappeared out of my room. Oh. I had it in a drawer, and really? it, it disappeared mysteriously. Yeah. Oh man. Oh shit. I love that you did that. And I love that you admitted <laughs> it. I would have done the same thing. Oh fuck yeah. There was his hair is all over the ground and <laughs> the ground. Like, Look around. Picked up a big sure. envelope. Put it in my sock drawer. Oh. It was a, it was a residential studio. Uh-huh. It was a kitchen and it was catered, you know, it was a great time. Anyway, that's that's at the end of the trip that I discovered that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, here's what happens. So we are in Barbados. What happens? Jerry Hall gets busted for fucking weed in Barbados. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this story. Mm-hmm. She got put in the by putting the slammer overnight, and mm-hmm. we had to stay there. So we ended up being there. I think it was like six weeks instead of two weeks. 
And Mick would work from like one o'clock to four o'clock. Okay. But when I got there, we had tapes from, um, let's see, we had tapes that Mick had produced from Weasel Lord Studios in Hilversum, Holland. Mm. We had tapes that um, Dave, Dave from the Eurythmics, what's Dave's last Dave name? Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart had produced some tracks. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Keith Diamond had produced some tracks, mm. three different tracks, three different producers. Mick, Keith, and Dave, and th- there were different reels of tape with different alignments oh and different different speeds, and no B reels. No, we used to call them slave tape, slave mm-hmm. reels. Yeah, I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is politically incorrect these days. Sure. Um, but um, I, I literally spent the first three or four days organizing everything. And figuring out, and then when Jerry got busted, Mick decides that he wanted to do all the bass over. He wanted to do all the drums over. Manu Cachet played the original drums. Oh, I love him. Yeah, and but he Mick didn't want him anymore. So <laughs> I remember we didn't even make slave reels. We just would bounce shit down. I remember because he Simon Phillips came in. That's when I met Simon. Oh, okay, great fucking drummer. I love him too. And what was amazing about Simon coming in, and um, I did make safety copies of everything. That's right, but. It's- Mick's like, just get get rid of Manu. I don't want to hear him. <clears throat> so what I would do to open up tracks on the 24, uh, on the two-inch tape, I would take all of Manu's tracks, bounce them down to mono, and then erase all his stuff. Oh. Right? Uh-huh. That's what Mick told me to do. I did it. Uh-huh. And uh, then we had Simon come in. And Simon would come into the control room, sticks in hand, set up his, he brought his own microphones as well. Mm. Uh, Simon's an excellent engineer as well. Mm. Very smart guy. Mm-hmm. I, gotta, I gotta call him one of these days he had a tragedy several years ago his house burned down and oh yeah it was bad he lost Ooh. everything yeah so simon would listen to the tracks in mono and then there was no there was no click tracks nothing it was all free form he would um okay take the drums out of the headphones let me play along with the band and he went out there and would play along with the band like he was in the fucking room with them Ooh, it was I amazing believe it, it was amazing it. And we just did, um, you know, this and that. We uh, did vocals. We did guitars with Jeff. Um, we played Trivia Pursuit. <laughs> we went out to clubs at night. Sure. And, um, you know, I beat Jeff Beck at Trivia Pursuit. My did big, you really? Big nice. Claim of fame there, yeah. Nice. My two, bi- two big showbiz claims of fame. Snorted cocaine with Elton John and beat <laughs> Jeff Beck at Trivia Pursuit. <laughs> I mean, that's important shit. It is, of course, important. Yes. So I had a blast. You know, okay. we would go to the beach. In did the you finish the album or did it no, did you we, take a turn and then someone else came in and made sense no, of it all? I, I finished the record. Okay. So after I getting everything together. And then Mick says, hey, you want to mix the record? No, no, we still had stuff to do. Let's go to New York. Find a studio in New York. Mm. We're going to go back to New York. Right track. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was doing all my work at Right Track there. Mm-hmm. Went to so I booked Right Track Studio A, started doing overdubs. Started, and he was planning on doing a tour at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the band we we also rehearsed with the band that he was going to do a, try to do a tour with, and we set up to record. I did live two track recordings of the rehearsal tapes. Here's the band: Simon Phillips on drums, mm-hmm. Doug Wimbish on bass. Oh. Phil, I forgot Phil's name. Phil's name. Um, he was the keyboard player. Keyboard player. 
my daughter. Um, uh-huh. Keyboard player, Phil something or other. Okay. Jeff Beck, Jeff Beck on guitar. Gene oh Smith on guitar. Mick on guitar. Oh. So oh I have gosh. a bunch of jams. I have a copy of Freeway Jam that is just off the cuff. It's off. In a, uh, I, I actually put it on Dropbox recently. Ooh, when Jeff nice. passed away. I'll send you yeah. a link to it. Oh, please do. I hope it's still there. That'd be fun. Some stuff. Um, Some shit disappears off my Dropbox. I don't know how that I, happened. Anyway, so yeah, we went to Right Track. Did uh-huh. over there. We cut a couple more. I think we cut Party Doll. But now you say the party's over You used to love to honky-tonk But now the honky-tonking's over That stupid ass big fucking reverb snare. <laughs> I remember "Let's Work." It was kind of a. Oh, that was terrible! I hated that song. Don't tell. Don't tell Mick that. And that's what um, that's what uh, Steve Thompson and, and Barbiero uh-huh. remix of that. A uh-huh. Yeah, yep. they did a dance mix of that. But I mixed the entire record. Uh, uh-huh. There's a great, great song. "Throwaway" is a great song. "Throwaway," uh, sure. Yeah, that was a good hit. A piece for the wicked. I really like as well. Okay. It was originally called Soul City, but he changed it. Peaceful, the wicked. That's a cool song. Yeah. Yeah. But like uh, War Babies was weird. Uh huh. Um, um, yeah, his ne- his solo career never really got off the ground. People just the first weren't. Record, the first record did well, but then yeah. after that was like you know. I remember reading an interview with Keith after Goddess in the Doorway came out, and somebody mentioned Goddess in the Doorway to Keith. Yeah. Like, oh, you mean shit in the doorway. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. yet, Keith's solo albums, especially that first one, mm. is incredible. Yeah, that's as yeah. good as any Stones album. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, I mean like that's where the heart and spirit of the band is. That's it's the yin and yang of the Stones. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's down to earth and nitty gritty, and uh-huh. you know, Mick always has that commercial sheen. As yes. You know, about yes. Eleven. And he had that thing, a commercial appeal that you know he, he likes that. Yep. Yeah. 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 Lily White was on here recently and we were talking about this because I can't remember if it was him or someone else I've talked to who worked with the Stones were saying they quickly realized that there were two camps. There was Team Mick and there was Tim Team Keith. Yeah. And that Team Keith was the more fun, that was the team you wanted to be on. Sure. Because Team Keith or Keith Team Mick was serious and like you said, more focused yeah. on commercial everything. Yeah. Keith is just having a good time, relaxed, laid back. You you want to be on Keith's team. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I met, I met with Keith. I, you know, I've seen Keith several times. Uh-huh. A couple, couple funny things. Um, one funny thing, but uh, I okay. met with him when he was doing, uh, 
He was doing a version with Aretha of Jumping Jack Flash for the yes, Steve and Lily White and I talked about that. I yeah. love that song. Well, I met with, I was in London. I think I was, I guess, doing the Julian Copiers, like eighty <clears> something or other. Wow, uh, somewhere around there. And he had the penthouse at the St James Club, and Jane Rose, who I believe is still, you know, Keith's gal, mm-hmm. the main, you know, taking care of everything. Um, got a hold of me somehow and went up the elevator, private elevator up to the top. And here he is up there. They're all, they're playing fucking cards, smoking cigarettes, snorting blow, drinking whiskey, uh, Bobby keys. I don't remember. Who, I remember Keith and Bobby keys. I don't know. who the okay. other people were. There were two other guys there. Oh, uh, was Arnold. There? Maybe it was a, one of the Dunn brothers, oh. Alan Dunn before hmm. they got fired. The okay. Dunn, Alan, Alan uh, and Arnold were the Dunn brothers. They worked with the stones for years. Okay. And then, uh, within the last 10 years, they all got canned and mm. with the whole new team. I don't know what happened. Okay. I, don't, I don't know these things. So I just, yeah. I, I just turned knobs. Right. Um, but I met with Keith. He was really nice. He asked me if I wanted some, you know, snort some blow. I mm-hmm. turned it down, which is probably why I didn't get the gig. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> smoking cigarettes, just hanging out a little bit. We we're just talking about stuff. It was nice. Sure. Short meeting, half hour or so, and watched them play cards and snort blow and oh drink, my gosh, drink whiskey. What a story. Yeah, and beers. There were beers there. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, That's exactly what you imagine meeting yeah. with Keith Richards is like, actually, just <laughs> like that. Yeah, and you know, I saw Keith. You know, after you know, um, the living Co- living color opened up for the Stones. Mm-hmm. I forgot what year it was. Eighty nine, probably. And I saw Keith a couple times. Just hung a little bit. But the the last time I saw Keith. That's a good name for a song, huh? The last yeah. Time. <laughs> it was at, they were working on Voodoo Lounge. It was back in the 90s. Oh, okay. Okay, I saw Mick there as well. That's, that's the last time I saw Wait, mm. no, I saw Mick at the at the Rose Bowl at, a, at the Voodoo, on the Voodoo Lounge tour. Okay. Yeah, that's where I saw him. That was a great... I, I got to stand behind Charlie Watts at Soundcheck. That was fucking oh. amazing. It was just so great. Just the, the sound oh. of his fucking drums. Yes. Just great. Yeah, what a gentleman he was. He was took my hand and you know. Uh, yes, I, he was I, class. I get, I get nervous as fuck every time I meet somebody that you know I admire. Do you really? I start sweating. My hands are clammy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm, I'm, I don't, uh, after all these years, that's wild. Years, I'm saying yeah. Well, yeah. Still, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have something to say. About oh Keith. yes, please. Um, last time I saw Keith, they were working on Voodoo Lounge, uh-huh. and they, at A and M, they're working in Studio A and. You know, and I saw Mick like the week before, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, oh, I'm so tired. You know, going. We've been working so hard. I can't wait to get out and just relax for a while. But it's good to see you. Blah blah blah. Just briefly met, saw him in the hall, mm-hmm. and I called him Michael Phillip. I always called him Michael Phillip. <laughs> hey, hey, Michael Phillip, and he looks at me. Uh-huh. He didn't recognize me. And he said, "It's Ed." And he goes, "Edward." <laughs> anyway, so so here I am. I'm walking in from the entrance, and here's Studio A studio the the lounge and out walks keith with a drink in each hand and a cigarette in his mouth pushing the door open with his back and i say keith i saw mick last week i thought you guys were finished and he goes well mate when the cat's away the mice must play (laughs) (laughs) he just slittered into studio c (laughs) that sounds about exactly right yep i can hear it Okay, last one. We've okay. um, 
Uh, let me ask you. I mean, there's a million more I could ask you about, but I wanted to ask you about the size. They were a band that I didn't know that well. One of my listeners, who unfortunately doesn't listen to us anymore because he's a Trump supporter and he knows that I'm not, so he got Ouch. offended and went away. Bye bye. Um, turned me on to the size a few years ago, and Robert uh -huh. LaRoche has been on here a couple of times. We've oh, remained friends. He? Yes, yeah, he's a good guy. He is a good guy. And they were one of those bands that I married, married to Patricia, Pro, Patricia Vaughn. Yes, not anymore, but he was. And he still plays oh, in her band. Anymore? No, they got divorced, but he's still in her band. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know they got divorced. Yeah. God, she friended I, me on Facebook and I said something about Bobby, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, he's still in the band, though. Yeah. Yes. Oh, good. You, you still I, I, <laughs> Patricia, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 99% sure about this because okay. he came on once and we talked, we did like you with the whole career. And then he came on again a couple of years ago when they released a new uh, EP of new material that kind of got back together. Yeah. And I think he was on another time to talk about one of his solo albums, which was fantastic. Anyway, he's a great guy and we've stayed in touch a little bit. Um, they were one of those bands that should have done more. You know, at that that sort of poppy, grungy sound of the yeah, early man. '90s, yeah. you held, you made them sound just right, and it didn't work out. Well, there there were, you know, uh, I got that gig. Johnny DiNicola, JD, and mm. Tommy Allen were also co-producers on that record, mm. and had Johnny has, you know, is a great songwriter, uh, you know, and helped the boys with their crafting their songs, mm -hmm. and they were in the Johnny and Tom were there the entire time with me. So mm -hmm. I can't attribute the great greatness of that record to just me. Mm -hmm. The band's great to begin with. They're all great players, good mm -hmm. songs. But Johnny and Tommy would, were mm -hmm. there all the time. So okay. they helped out a lot. And we did that at A&M Studio, at A&M. You know, we yeah. did that in Studio A. My favorite, the drum sound in there is remarkable. Mm -hmm. I guess we overdubbed that rumbo. It was my usual L.A. days kind of, you know, track at A&M, record, um, um overdub at rumbo and then either mix at a place called the gray room or at a&m studios which i and i mixed in the mix room at a&m where i did mix the 
the size record, but okay. God knows, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I don't think the record company got really behind that. No, I don't know. Like I, I don't know any of that shit at all. I don't deal with that stuff. Yeah. I, I hardly, yeah. I can't relate to A&R people. You know, I have, yeah. you know, I don't even know anybody in the, in the, the business anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew, mm-hmm. you know, I had some good relations back in the day, but mm-hmm. I don't know with the stuff that's going on now. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, You saying that earlier about not being focused on hits with the smithereens and stuff like that, that helps me understand how you process or might process a band like the size who you give just as much attention and time and heart and soul into what they're doing. And to you, it's all good. And it all deserves to be heard. It all should be hits and everybody should be successful. And they're not. And you don't know why. And you just walk you just do your thing and walk away i put as much effort into the demo from a local band as i put into the smithereens the ramones or the skies yeah i I look at every project the same way yeah yeah whatever i'm doing if i'm just mixing something or i'm recording from scratch it's a great project i'm I'm so grateful to be doing what i'm doing for 50 years i bet i bet you know yeah insane um I don't know if I mentioned this story to you. I mentioned mixing at a place called the Gray Room. Mm-hmm. Um, I mixed the Smithereens Eleven at the Gray Room when it was a fellow Richard Landis. He's a producer. He okay. produced "Amazing with the King of Hearts." Da, 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 oh, da. yeah, yeah. Um, Juice Newton. Yeah, Juice Newton. Um, what did I say his name? Richard Landis. Richard uh, Landis. Richard Landis. And he had SSL. He had great gear. And uh, then he sold that house and he moved his. <clears throat> I think there was a big uprising in LA in the nineties. Uh, forgot who did this. Some guy named Buddy, but he was really against home studios. Oh, and I think oh. Richard got slack about it and had to move out of move the studio out of his house. So he went into a place called One on One in in the Valley in North Hollywood. One on One Studios. There was a room there. He built a mix room in there where I mixed a bunch of stuff. Um, and whenever this was when I was doing this, I guess it was ninety one or ninety two. Metallica were in there working on the Black Album, I think. Whoa. They were there. Okay, so they were. I went in. I did. I did. This is funny. I mean, Bob Rock. I mean, genius. He's been on here, too. I love him. Yes. And he he takes his time making records. You know, Uh I tried to take my time with Blow Up, but it didn't work out as well as it did with Bob Rock. (laughs) Okay, so, you know, I befriended Bob. I had actually met Bob when he was in the... uh, what the, that was that band he was in a Canadian band. Uh the um the uh strange no. eyes, eyes of a stranger eyes of a stranger by the uh yeah, I'm suddenly that forgetting band. That, that band. I know that band. You can flash the title on the screen when you remember. Um if we even put this this even makes it why am I suddenly forgetting <laughs> this? this? I love that song. Paolas. Paolas, yeah, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the Paolas. yeah. I love that song too. Bob mixed it, mixed it at Power Station. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I met Bob, met the guys, you know, met Lars and, you know, the whole the whole crew because they were hanging out. We mm-hmm. had a co- common, sort of a common lounge area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would see each other, introduce myself. And, you know, they were Ramones fans, Misfits fans. Well, I hadn't, hadn't worked with the Misfits yet, and I know. But they were Ramones fans. And I had actually worked with Kirk. The, I, I, I recorded... Um, the solos for the the song one i didn't get credited for it really yeah yeah we did it they were doing monsters of rock tour they were in new Uh york a day off kirk wasn't happy with it i think uh, michael olago got a hold of me somehow he's the guy to sign into electra and Uh uh, 
I think it was Michael, and I went into the studio with uh, Kirk for a day and did the oh, solo. man. Yeah. Oh. It was crazy. I never got credit for it. That's wild. Ignore, ignore I've never it. heard this before. Yeah. It's a good, wow. I haven't told it. I don't think I've told this story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Anyway. So while they're, they're, they were doing drums and you would hear a fill for like an entire day. <laughs> Three hours later. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, when uh, they mixed it at A&M, and my friend uh, John Aguto Gitas, who assisted me there a lot, was the assistant on there. And he said that he counted like 188 splices in one of the songs or something. It was on tape. They were taping that shit. Anyway, so, okay, I did three records. I recorded and mixed three records. I did Junkyard. The junkyard record I did, six, sevens, and nines. I did Marshall Crenshaw, Life's Too Short. And I did The Pursuit of Happiness, The Downward Road. Another great album. Yes, yeah. thank you. So, you know, re- pretty much the same thing. Uh, we recorded Marshall's tracks at AM. We recorded Junkyard's track at Studio D in Sausalito. Recorded um, Pursuit of Happiness at Sound City. <clears throat> and um, did all the overdubs for all those uh, song, uh, records at Rumbo and mixed, it, mixed them all at the Gray Room where Metallic was working. I. Recorded, rehearsed, recorded, and mixed all of those three records. And from the day I started going in there to mix till the day I left, and they were, you know, two months at a time, six months, they were still doing drums. <laughs> yeah, and I walked into the studio. I wanted, and my, uh, my godson was a huge Metallica fan, so he, uh-huh. especially of Lars. So, you know, I got a, when I, I walked into the studio, Bob brought me in one day, and there was a stack of drum heads that had to be six feet high it was taller than me i'm a little guy i'm five six five seven <laughs> it was like six feet high drum heads uh-huh. and picked them up guys you know, lars who is so the guy i think they all signed it uh-huh. my godson um but they were still they were doing drums for the entire time that i did oh my records. gosh it would have paid oh off of course it did it, but it still i mean yeah come on now well, oh that's, that's great what i tried to do with uh you know, 11 not eleven yeah. with blow up was you blow know, up. really be detailed about everything. Yes. yes. I guess it's yeah. not my thing. I guess not. Actually, you know, blow up's not a bad record. No, um, it's a good album. It's a good record. It just doesn't it it's different than the others. Mm-hmm. You know, they abandon what kind of makes them special to me it's, it's, and it's, try it's, something it's, new and it's okay, it's, but it's not it's, the same. It's like a record. Yes, yes it is. If you if you what that sun 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 don't if the sun refuses yeah. that's yes. a great song. I love yes, that. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. There's great a lot story. of great songs on there. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, look, Ed, I love you. I could talk to you for hours more about everything Always else. good to talk to you, John. Thanks. And thank you for doing this with me. It love means back, a bro. lot. And that's everything. There's Ed Stasium for you. <laughs> what a life. So I, he mentioned there near the end, The Pursuit of Happiness. They're a strong band as well. So I wanted, I figured let's end it with some Pursuit of Happiness. This is Cigarette Dangles. Great song. By the way, in case you're wondering, I mentioned to him about the possibility of coming back and doing a deep dive with me. I said, you could even pick. He said, no, 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 no. Why don't you pick? So he and I might do a deep dive one of these days, and I think I know which album we're going to talk about as well. It did come up in one of these conversations. Anyway, thank you, Ed, for uh, doing that with me. I hope you guys enjoyed that. It was fun. 
And yes, I know, there's millions of things we didn't even get to. That's the way it goes. Uh, now, as I mentioned before, next week is our eighth birthday. And uh, as I always do, I try to have a special guest, someone really unique, somebody that's pertinent to the podcast, someone I get a lot of requests for, whatever that might be. And next week is a very unique guest because, as I mentioned in part one, this person had a bunch of hits in the 80s, uh, came out of nowhere, and sort of disappeared in the no nowhere. And uh, I was, I consider myself extremely lucky that I got to have a long, fruitful conversation with this person who none of us had heard from, I'm guessing, in a very long time. So that's what's coming up next week. Again, huge thanks to Yan the Man Makevich for putting everything together. Thank you, Yan. He's about to take most of the month of May off because he needs a recharge. He's a little burnt out, aren't we all? And I get it. So thankfully, some of you have offered to step up and produce some episodes. If anyone else wants to step in or, you know, I don't temporarily or one shot or whatever, just tell me and uh, we'll work you in as well. Okay. Um, you guys can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. All right. Thanks everybody. We love you.